Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. Today we're continuing with our series, Valued, and we're looking at some of the values here at King's Church. What do we value? What is important to us? And how does that impact our lifestyle? You see, we do what we value. Our values are not what we have printed on our literature. Our values are not what we have on our website. Uh, Our values are not those things that are just memorable slogans. We do what we value, and we value what we do. And at King's Church, we've got a list of five values that has been our aspiration for nearly 20 years. It's been what we've been living for. I mean, we just keep going for this because... It seems to be what God's saying to us, and it's biblical. And so we're just going to keep going for it. And if you've heard it before, let me just say, you'll hear it again. Because it matters. It's important to us. You see, if we say we value relationships, but never invest in a relationship, we don't. If we say we value honesty, but constantly lie, we don't. If we say uh, that we value kindness but are mean to people on a regular basis, we don't. Our actions give us away. What we do tells us what we value. So, value D here at King's Church uh, has sort of evolved over those 19 years. It used to be doing the stuff, but then people thought we were taking drugs. And so I thought that needs clarifying a little bit. And then it was doing evangelism because everybody believes that evangelism should be done and someone should be doing it. It just shouldn't be me. And that's just not true. Evangelism should be done. Somebody should be doing it, but it is you. And so we thought we need to make that bigger and rounder and say we're valuing disciples making disciples You see, there's a part of us as leading people to Jesus and then helping them to grow into all that they could be. I wonder if someone walked into your missional community who'd never been before and you were to say to them, what do we value around here? Would they say, it's as plain as the nose on your face, you value disciples making disciples? If they wouldn't, we have a journey to go on. If someone was to walk into your house and have tea with you on a regular basis, and after about six weeks, you say to them, what do we value in this home? If they were to say, well, there's quite a few things, but one of them is definitely disciples making disciples, then that's great. But if they wouldn't, We've a journey to go on because we don't believe in a compartmentalized life. We don't live one life when we're in Sunday morning celebration, another one when we're in missional community, another one when we're in work, another one when we're with our family, another one when we're uh, with friends. We get to live one life. And so if I am valuing making disciples who make disciples here, I value it everywhere. And that's what a value is. It's something that shapes the way we live. The best books, maybe you want to jot this down. Oh, by the way, there are notes for all these talks that I've been all the way through lockdown. 
your missional community, missional household leaders been sent the link a number of times. Please just access them. You can forward them into your missional community WhatsApp groups, mission household WhatsApp groups, and you can download them from Google Drive every single week. So you can get this, you can get the audio version as well. But I don't think I put it in the notes. So um, four books I would strongly recommend you read on discipleship. If you were going to read any books on discipleship, these are the four you need to read. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you're very keen and you want to read another, Acts of the Apostles. They're the best books on disciple-making ever written. The, ones I've, the best ones I've ever read. I've been reading those books consistently for over 40 years now. And I learn something about discipleship every time I read them. I started reading those books before I became a follower of Jesus and they helped to disciple me into becoming a follower of Jesus. As we read those books, we see the life of Jesus. Jesus spent 30 years in seclusion and then three years of public ministry and he spent three years making disciples. And then he said, now... It's your turn. You go and make disciples. And what we've done sometimes across the church is, oh, great, I'll write a course about it. We'll do it on a Wednesday night for six weeks and we'll call it discipleship. It's like Jesus has just spent three years showing you how to make disciples. That it starts before someone is a follower of Jesus and it ends at eternity And you invest your whole life into it and you cannot reduce it into a six-week Wednesday night tea and biscuit course. It's a way of life. It's what I live for. It's what I live for. (coughs) Just to let you know, I've done a lateral floor test. Many of them have got a bit of a cold. This is the new. This is the new sort of. Uh, ooh, that was water and the electricity. That doesn't go well, does it? Um, I've just got a bit of a cold. That's why I'm staying away from you a little bit. But it's not COVID. It's all good. In the Gospels, we see the words of Jesus, and we've got to take seriously the words of Jesus. We see the works of Jesus. He cares for the marginalised. He invests in the poor. He's not fazed by those in power. He shares the gospel with them. He heals the sick. He raises the dead, casts out demons. We've got to take on board the works of Jesus. We see the wounds of Jesus. He suffered rejection in his hometown of Nazareth. Not everybody liked him. Some people tried to kill him and he was killed. We embrace the wounds of Jesus that we might know him and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Maybe not quite as popular, that one, eh? And we follow the ways of Jesus. How did Jesus make disciples? Because that's how we get to do it too. That's following Jesus. Discipleship, Dallas Willard said, is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So I just want to highlight a few points of the journey of making disciples that Jesus did and then say, hey, how could we join in with that? 
So right in the early stages of making disciples, Jesus uh, he has got to know um, Simon Peter through his brother Andrew. He's got to know those guys a little bit. He's had some conversations. Andrew and his friends have been hanging out with Jesus. Andrew's introduced Peter to Jesus. And Jesus uh, and Peter are having a conversation one day, and Jesus says to Peter, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> Now, the context for that, that phrase is in Matthew 4.19, but the context is in Luke 5.11. Jesus wants to speak to a big group of people. And they're pushing in on him, and he's near the beach. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone who doesn't understand personal space? Have you ever done that? I, I remember being in a room once, I was talking to this person, and they just they were there. And I do like a bit of personal space. So I stepped back. And it wasn't an intimidating conversation, it wasn't a threatening conversation, it was just a chat. And they stepped forward. So I stepped back. So they stepped forward. So I stepped back. And they kept talking, stepped forward. I hit the wall. I literally hit the wall at the other side of the room because I just, I need a bit of space. And Jesus, I think the crowds were pressing in and saying, I need a bit of space. Peter, we've chatted before, Andrew's friend, oh yeah, yeah, can I use your boat? And Andrew and Peter, yeah, yeah, jump in. And Jesus gets into the fishing boat. Now, I've seen archaeological remains of the kind of fishing boats that Jesus would have been in. At about 27 foot long and three, nine feet across, three meters across. And the shape's a bit like a Viking ship. They're up at the back and then they go down and then up again. And the back would provide a little bench. Remember, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat on one occasion. There's like a little bench. <coughs> And that bench would be surrounded by wood that was reasonably high with the bench, which would force sound across water outward. So Jesus has got this little PA system going, and he's preaching to the crowds. The crowds love it. They're listening to him. And when they've all gone, he says to Peter and Andrew, um, did you catch anything last night? No, we didn't catch a thing. Why don't we put out into the deep waters? It's daytime now. And they knew, they were fishermen. They knew that you fish at night, you don't fish in the daytime. But it's daytime and Jesus, the builder, the tecton, says, let's, let's push out into the deep. So they push out into the deep. He says, well, we fished all night, Jesus, but because you say so, and you've borrowed my boat, and I've not had a wink's sleep, and you're still talking, I'll put out, because I need to get to bed, but I'll put out into the deep, and I'll cast down. And Jesus says, throw your nets over to the side of the boat. They throw it over. And the scripture tells us in Luke 5 that they caught so many fish, that they had to call their partners from the other oikos near them, uh, James and John, sons of Debedee, come and help us. It literally says the boats were so full of fish, they were about to sink. 27 feet long, 9 feet wide, 2. So full of fish, they're about to sink. It's a good catch. And it says Peter drops on his knees. I don't know if he was in the middle of all the fish, flopping around. I don't know. And says, oh, I'm a sinful man. You should, you, should, you should depart from me. And Jesus says, come and follow me. You're going to fish for people. You think this is a big catch? You wait and see what we can do. Jesus invites him and he challenges him. He says to him, come follow me. 
And we love that as Christians, don't we? Oh, yeah. I really do need to work on my prayer time. I need to get into worship more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to have those me and Jesus times. I love it when we sing songs in worship in the celebrations and and it's powerful and it's wonderful. I love having fellowship with people. I love people around my house and just hanging out with them. I love the come and follow me. And you know what? That's really, really, really important. (coughs) But Jesus hits him with a challenge as well. And I will make you fishers of men. And discipleship is embracing the invitation of Jesus and the challenge of Jesus. Some people say, oh, you know what? It's not for me sharing my faith. It is. It's the challenge that Jesus sets to us all. And not just with people you don't know occasionally, like all the time with people by your life, by your words, by all means, reaching people. For Jesus. Discipleship, Jesus, throughout the Gospels, you'll see it again, he balances perfectly invitation and challenge. You've heard us say this before, you've heard me say this before. If invitation is high and challenge is low, we end up with cozy Christianity. We all know each other, we all love each other, there's no room in our group, there's no room in our missional community, there's no room in my life for people who don't know Jesus because it's full of lovely, cozy friendships. We've got enough friends to be going on with, thank you. Remember, was it Noel Gallagher said in one interview, he said, I've got nine friends and that's one too many. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm full, I've got enough. The challenge is not to live cosy Christianity. However, if invitation is low and challenge is low, we're bored. We don't have any friends and we don't have anything to do. And people have said for years, church is... Boring. Why? Because there's no community and there's no mission. If only we had missional community. It's a good name for something, that, isn't it? Words are important, you know. We don't have groups at King's, life groups, home groups, knitting groups, whatever. We have missional communities. Because we're trying to say something with language. Remember, it's about community. And remember, it's about mission. And so... If you don't have either, you're bored. If invitation is high and challenge is low, it's all about the task. It's all about getting things done. It's all about spinning plates. And I've lived my life like that at one stage. And it leads to burnout. Because it's all about getting the job done, but you realize you're not getting any sense of invitation, no investment, no being built up, no sense of friendship, no sense of care or self-care. And so you reach a point where all you're doing is spinning plates. And it's unsustainable. But if you get the balance right, It's not go from burnout to cozy or cozy to burnout. It's to find that place of balance that says, I am going to live a life that's got a mission about it, that's in a real community, that feels invested in, but invests in others. Then I become a disciple-making disciple. When Jesus is inviting and challenging Peter, they're on a bit of a high I mean, the crowds are gathering, they're pressing in, the boats on the lake. you remember those? They must have been like the glory days. Everybody wants to know about Jesus. Until they hear what he's actually saying. And when they hear what he's actually saying, because he's not saying, come dine with me, he's saying, come die with me. 
If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to need to lay down your life. Yes, there'll be some wonderful times in it, but you're going to have to lay down your life and live a different way. Oh, and by the way, Caesar isn't Lord, Jesus is Lord. And by the way, you can't serve two masters, you can't serve money and God. Suddenly, whoa, there's some offense now. And there are crowds beginning to drift away. And some people are actively against Jesus. And there are some plots afoot to take his life. And the disciples are beginning to think, what did we sign up for? Because it was great when we were on the boat with the thousands. But now they're talking about killing him. And Jesus says to them in Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock. It's your, good, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Little flock. There's something about following Jesus in community with others. There's something about it that's so important that requires us to know that we're together with others. Because, you know, when we follow Jesus, he'll ask us to change our mind as a disciple and to change our behavior. If you've not been asked to change your behavior or your mind about something by Jesus yet, you need to start the discipleship journey. Because he will ask you to change your mind about things and your actions. Some things, he'll just say, look, that, why wouldn't you want to die to the things that are ruining your life? That are making you more selfish, that are making you more proud, that are making you more anxious, that are making you more fearful. Why wouldn't you want to die to those things? But sometimes he asks us to die to other things to make room for his kingdom in our lives. So for me, an example would be, I don't know if I've ever mentioned to you, but I'm an Everton supporter. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I've done once or twice a week. Um, and I've been an Everton supporter since 1970. Way back when we used to win things. And I would go to the match. I wasn't like an armchair supporter. I'd go to the match. I'd go to all the home matches. I went with my dad to start with and then with my cousin and my friends. And we'd go to the match. And I became a follower of Jesus and I kept going to the match. <coughs> and one day we'd gone watching Everton Man City. And I went and bought a really good seat for the Everton Man City game. Because in those days you would get a voucher. And the voucher was this ticket you would have for the Merseyside derby. And I knew the Man City game is when they were going to give out the vouchers for the Merseyside Derby. And so I wanted a really good place on the ground for the Merseyside Derby. So I went to the match with my friends. Got my, paid more than I would normally pay. Got a seat in the main stand with a really good view because I knew that's where I'd be sitting for the Merseyside Derby. Got my voucher. And as I was walking off the ground, the Holy Spirit said to me, you're not coming back here till I tell you you can. <laughs> I've got a voucher. <laughs> You're not coming back here until I tell you. There is nothing wrong with going to sporting events. It is not sinful. It's not. And not everybody should stop going. But for me, at that time in my life, it was too important. And I knew if I didn't instantly obey, it would be more difficult to obey later. So I gave my voucher to my friend. I said, do you want the voucher? And he laughed and said, ah, you're coming to the derby, aren't you? I said, I'm not coming. What do you mean you're not coming? I'm not coming. Well, when will you be coming again? I don't know. And I didn't go to the match again for, I don't know, 10 years. And now I can go to the match, it's fine. It's all good. Because it's found its place in my life. It's important to me, I love it, but it's not, I mean, it's nowhere near God. 
It's nowhere near. And sometimes Jesus will say to you, you know what, they can do that, but you can't. Because it's not good for you until we get it in its right place in your life. That's part of being a disciple. It's come and die as well as come and dine. And so, fear not, little flock. It's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus knew that they would face difficulty. And I think John Mark and Ali have illustrated it perfectly, so I don't need to go through this part of the talk in any detail. Just suffice to say, if you've been sold the lie that become a follower of Jesus and all your problems will disappear, it's a lie. You will have challenges. You will have difficulties. You will face tests and trials. You will have joy and peace and hope. You will have victories and glorious times with God. But I need to tell you, there will be challenges in following Jesus as his disciple. And if I don't tell you that, what will happen is the challenges will come anyway. And then you'll think you've got a falsy version of Christianity. This isn't working. I want to take it back. God's not being faithful because I've got a problem. God's not being good because this is happening in my life. God's not being great because that's happening. No, God is constant. Life is rough and glorious. But God is constant. Just trying to choose which bits to, <coughs> to talk about. So the disciple-making process, I am convinced, starts before someone makes the decision to become a follower of Jesus. And it ends in eternity. There's a guy called Engel who wrote a thing called the Engels Scale. But Jesus said this long before he wrote it. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. There's a continuing deepening in the relationship with Jesus on the disciple-making journey. We get to know him more. We get to love him more. We get to become more like him. Now, Engel wrote this scale in 1975, and he talks about the person's journey from unbelief to faith. Jesus said, before Engel wrote this in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. So before someone comes to Jesus, the Father is already at work in their life, drawing them to Jesus. And we get to join in that process, those prenatal discipling moments before the new birth, before the growth to maturity. We get to play a part in it all. And Engel says that there can be people who are like at a minus 10. They have no experience of God. They don't even know if God's real or they hate God. And then there might be somebody who's ambivalent to God. They might be minus nine. And he has all these different stages that people go from, say, minus nine to a zero where they become a follower of Jesus. And then they grow into that. I think it's through, he talks about a plus five where they're living out their faith and sharing it with others in community. Multiplying disciples is what we would say. As we share our faith with people, we may not have a conversation with them that moves them from minus 10 to plus 2 in one conversation. You might. The Apostle Paul was like persecuting the church to radical disciple of Jesus, one meeting on a road. But some people, they might have a conversation with you at work. You might invite them round for dinner. 
They might come to your missional community family tea and hear people giving thanks and then move from minus six to minus four. Progress has happened. Rejoice in that. People are on a journey. And we've got to walk with them. Jesus was discipling people who, James and John, some people in a village didn't want to know about Jesus. And they said, should we call fire down from heaven and just burn them all to death? Jesus is saying, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? That is nothing like the kingdom of God. In the end, that same disciple is saying, this is what I say to you. Just love one another. He went from minus eight to plus 20 (laughs) over a lifetime. I'm going to, again, just skip some stuff that I really wanted to say for the sake of time. (coughs) Discipleship is moving from unbelief to faith in every area of life. Cesar Kalinowski says that. So as we're believing the gospel, we are gospeling one another. The gospel is good news for people who don't know Jesus. And the gospel is good news for people who do. It works the same. So when I struggle with anxiety or worry... I have to gospel myself. I need to preach the gospel to me. I need to say, God is great. He has overcome my sin. He has died on a cross for me. He has risen from the dead for me. He wants to give me perfect peace. He is the Prince of Peace. This is the gospel. He saves me from my anxieties. I can cast all of my cares on him because he cares for me. I am moving from unbelief to faith because what we do gives away what we really believe. Here's what I found. I need people to help me do that. We get to gospel each other. We get to remind each other to believe our beliefs and doubt our doubts. Because if left to our own devices, we doubt our beliefs and belief our doubts, and then we're stuffed. That's in the original Greek, that. <laughs> so much more I wanted to say about that, but <clears throat> let me move to the final part. The disciple-making journey, right near the conclusion bit, Jesus says to the disciples in... Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As you go, make disciples. I just want you to notice, Jesus says that just before his ascension. He spent three years making disciples. And then he says, what I've just done with you and the way I've just done that with you, you do it. I don't think he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You're probably going to have to work out how to do that on your own because I've just not got time to fill you in on the details. But I'm sure there's a really great course you could write about it. He's saying to them, you've just lived with me for three years. You did not know me, and now you would lay down your life for me. You're about to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have become disciples. Go and do the same to some other people. 
Help them to love me like this. How did Jesus make disciples? He shared his life with people. He ate food. He invited and he challenged. He prayed. He sought the lost. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He talked. He walked. He paid taxes. He went fishing. He slept in boats. He attended weddings and funerals, though he ruined most of those that he went to. He went on holiday, had public and private conversations. He shared life. And as he went, he made disciples. He gave enough access to some people so that their lives could be changed, so that they could give access to others so that their lives could be changed. And you'll say to me, Darren, that's a lovely theory. But Jesus lived 2,000 years ago in Palestine with a group of 12 people who walked around Palestine with him all the time. And I don't. Good point but not an excuse. Because as soon as Jesus is risen from the dead and he ascends, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will get to contextualize what I've just done with you for three years in every town, city, village, countryside area. You will take those principles of walking with people, eating with people, sharing life with people, having fun with people, praying with people, sharing the gospel with people, casting demons out of people, setting the captives free, bringing hope to the lost. You'll get to do that wherever you go. And the early church received the Holy Spirit and this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They continued to meet together daily in the temple courts. They brought bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That excites me more than standing on the Gladys Street end. That excites me more than having a lot of money. And I don't have a lot of money. But if I did, it excites me more than that. It excites me more than a holiday or a promotion. It excites me more than my family. You see, when Jackie and I got married, we made a promise to each other. She would never be the most important person in my life. And I would never be the most important person in her life. Because I don't want to be an idol. Jesus would always be the most important person in our lives. So family isn't first for us. Our marriage isn't first for us. Jesus is first for us. When Jesus is first, then marriage works. When Jesus is first, you have energy and fair to it. I love my family. I'd lay my life down for my kids because I love Jesus. But if I got Jesus in the wrong place, I couldn't do that. So we've got to work out how we do this in Warrington, in Witness, in St. Helens, in Runcorn, in Manchester, in Liverpool, all over the place, in Madrid, in Skopje, all over the place. time really has gone. Let me just say this. Colin Dye 
gave some very helpful headings that I think is really useful in making disciples. He says, we get to make disciples. That's help people to become followers of Jesus. We get to mark disciples. That's baptize them in water. If you've not been baptized in water as a follower of Jesus, it is t- you don't need a word from God. You've got the Bible. It's time to get baptized online. If you're watching, you're saying, well, it's not convenient. Great. It's the perfect time when it's not convenient. Let's make arrangements. Let's get you baptized. Because it's prioritizing following Jesus. We get to mature disciples. That's an ongoing process of learning and growing together. We get to mobilize disciples. That send people to neighborhoods and networks and interest groups as disciple-making disciples. And we get to multiply disciples. That's see more disciples. You make more disciples. You make more disciples. We value disciples-making disciples very simply because it's what Jesus told us to do. And that's what we're going to do. And if you want to do that with us, we'd love you to. We'd love you to. You get to join in. Every one of us. So I wonder, would you stand? We're going to pray. If you're online and you want to respond to this, just put count me in. If you want to be a disciple-making disciple, just put in the comments, count me in. If you want to be baptised in water, put water baptism in the comments. If you want to, in the room, you've not been baptised in water, you want to get baptised, tell someone on on the information desk or one of us and we'll arrange for that to happen. But this morning, if you want prayer because you want to recommit your life to being a disciple-making disciple, or you want a fresh infilling of the Spirit to be sent to a people group that God's laying on your heart, then as we sing this song, just quickly come forward and our prayer ministry team would love to pray with you. Uh, They may do it here or they may take you around the side, but we'd love to pray with you. It's an opportunity to just get a fresh infilling to go and do what God's asking us to do. So let's pray. Father God, I pray that as you're inviting and challenging us to be disciple-making disciples, I pray that if there's something been stirred in our hearts, and we're all on a trajectory with this, we're all learning how to do it. We've not really got it sussed. We've got these huge L plates on saying... I know lots of ways not to do this, but I'm learning more and more ways to do it as I look at Jesus and think, how did Jesus do that? How did Jesus do that in the power of the Spirit? God, help me to make that something part of my life where I am now. Jesus, help us with this, I pray, for your glory. Amen. If you'd like to respond for prayer, please come quickly and we will pray with you. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.